I feel like life is pretty good right now. That may sound odd, coming from someone who was living at the time with a loved one who was facing a debilitating terminal disease. But in May of 2014, that's how Ev Emerson was feeling about living in the shadow of ALS as it was slowly killing her husband, Bruce Kramer. We cry about once a day over something, some sadness, and then we move on and we're just happy that we're together. This is Living While Dying, an ALS story from Minnesota Public Radio News. I'm Kathy Warzer. Why don't we start then? with uh, the data chapters. Yes. And um, In April and May of 2014, Bruce Kramer found himself in a powerful current of energy, which was ironic because his body continued its downward spiral, muscles deteriorating at a progressive rate, caused by short-circuiting and then failing motor neurons, all of it the result of ALS. Bruce kept up a busy schedule of meetings with select doctoral students from the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. I mean, I can, I can see a chapter one being revealed through ethnocentrism. In May, Bruce was also finishing up revisions to the second edition of a book he and a colleague from the University of Hawaii had written on leadership ethics, his academic specialty. At the same time, Bruce and I signed a contract with the University of Minnesota Press. The goal was to write a book using his many blog entries and fresh perspectives on a life well-lived, despite death loitering so near. I remember asking Bruce whether he had the energy to undertake such a big project. He told me two things. He wanted to write the book, realizing it would be his last, best way to teach. And he said he felt alive when he was writing. Good reasons to go forward. Bruce's care needs had also increased at that time to the point where he could not be left alone. Daily activities of living were taken care of by hired personal care attendants. A small army of volunteers stayed with Bruce between shifts so wife Ev could continue to work. As many family caregivers know, the needs of a full-time job, coupled with the responsibilities of being a full-time caregiver, can grind a person down. In June of 2012, I talked with Bruce and Ev about the stresses of caregiving, something he was keenly attuned to. In May of 2014, I checked back in with Ev. It's going better now that I'm working part-time. It took a really bad breakdown of health for me finally to realize that I can't work full-time. In November, I couldn't get well. I came down with something, missed two complete weeks of school. It developed into pneumonia, and I realized something has to give. So I have since then dropped my work schedule down to about 75%. And it just buys me a couple hours each day to make sure I take care of myself. And that's been a very good thing to do. She's right. And experts agree. The demands on a caregiver's body, mind, and spirit can be overwhelming. And caretakers have to take care of themselves, too, which is easier said than done, especially if a caregiver also works outside the home. Ev teaches music at the Normandale Elementary French Immersion School in Edina. This recent graduation ceremony at the school marks the end of the school year and the start of summer vacation, a time for Ev to rest and rejuvenate. I talk about filling the well because my job is such, I'm a teacher and I'm giving and giving and giving, and my well gets dry, so I have to have things that will fill the water back up again. And those three things, I tell Bruce, if I can exercise, meditate, and play the piano, those seem to be the things that 
fill up the well again for me so I can go on. Those are things that get her recentered, and then our time is much, much better, even if I have one of those horrible, hard nights where I just cannot sleep because of the pain. Sometimes that pain goes beyond the physical. Ev says despite trying to keep an even emotional keel, there are waves of sadness that wash over them both. I guess Bruce would probably admit it, that we probably cry together at least once a day (laughs) over something, and then we move on. I feel so grateful most of the time that I don't like to dwell on the things that are unpleasant. This is a very busy place. Um, We have different people, volunteers, and paid caregivers coming in every day, and I'm never alone anymore. I have somebody with me 24-7. And so when it's just Ev with me, not only does it remove the busyness from the environment, but it also breaks down a lot of the defenses. They kind of go out the door with the last person who was here. I think that just leaves us both uh, vulnerable to triggers. I might say something about, I don't know, something that I wonder if I'll have the time for, or Ev might be thinking about something that she knows I can't participate in. And then we kind of get a little teary-eyed, and we come back together and center back into the moment. We sure do enjoy our time together in the, in the late evening, though. When we're just when it's just us. With any progressive illness, there is a loss of control, not only for the individual but for the caregiver. Are you experiencing that too? Oh, sure. It certainly has impacted my life. Even a year ago, I'm thinking I used to sneak out. I was able to leave Bruce for an hour at a time, so I could sneak out, ride a bike for an hour, and come back. And I can't do that anymore. So my world has shrunk as Bruce's world has shrunk. Control is an illusion. And ALS is one of those things that just, it's, it's quite adamant that you learn that lesson and learn it soon. You think you have control. You think you can place that control. But um, this body will do what it will do. And um, I can't make it do any more than that. And there's no way to control the advancing hold ALS has on Kramer's body. As he becomes weaker, there's a copy of his advanced care directive taped to the refrigerator door. It's in an envelope marked with big, bold letters. P-O-L-S-T, pulsed, or Provider Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment. If Bruce were to choke or have another medical issue, this document spells out what should be done, which is very little. There are do not resuscitate and do not intubate orders. I remember filling out the pulsed form, and that was an opportunity we both sat and cried. I accept his decisions, what he wants to do, but, um, yeah, you look at that, it's right out in black and white, and I have to respect that. Uh, I worry that I would be there, well, of course I would be there, if he couldn't breathe, and I I really don't want to even imagine that, mm-hmm. what would happen. I know I'd call 911, but I know that they would also look at the, the thing that's sitting on the refrigerator. 
and it's yeah, it's really hard to contemplate that. I, I think in a way, it's healthy. I wonder why we don't have Ebb's pulsed form up, frankly. And I mean, why why hasn't she talked with her doctor about it? And um, do you have a pulsed form? Why not? I mean, there are times when decisions get taken out of my hands, and these are my wishes as best as I can express them. I, I think that's a healthy thing to do. But, Ev, I've talked to other caregivers. When you get to that point and your loved one says, this is what I want, it, it's hard to let go. Yes. I remember when we talked at the Mayo about end of life, and we talked with one of the doctors, and he said, what you don't want to do is have to make a decision in the crush of the moment in an emergency. You don't want to make that decision, because once you are intubated, then what do you do? And so it's better to have it thought out ahead of time so that in that emergency, you already know what your loved one's wishes are, and you do that. It's like practicing for a fire drill, so that when the real thing happens, you know what to do. And we, we have done that. We've taken those steps. It wasn't easy to talk that out, but that's part of this whole process. How has your marriage been changing through all of this? How has the, the dynamic, the emotional dynamic changed, if at all? The emotional dynamic, I don't see a change. I, I mean, I, again, I don't want to say we're lucky, but there's a saying about riding a tandem bicycle, that a tandem bicycle will take your marriage to where it was going twice as fast. <laughs> and in a lot of ways, this for us has been like a tandem bicycle. There are places where there is a depth of connection that I, I don't believe we ever knew before. There are other places, of course, where I would dearly, dearly love to take a walk and hold hands. And mm. that would be that would be delicious. But those are places you let go of. We've pared this relationship down so that we're both so open to each other. It's a different depth, I feel like, a different depth of relationship. Well, and, and let's be clear, there are some things that, with, with my particular progression with ALS, that have made it easier. I mean, I don't have frontal temporal dementia. As I continue to lose physical function, I feel this deep spiritual intertwining between the two of us. Because you two so clearly love each other. You have, you have such a wonderful love story. Um, through all the changes that have occurred, though, how do you keep the spark? That's a secret. On the next Living While Dying, an ALS story, Bruce Kramer finds the courage to explain why he felt emotionally equipped to live with an illness like ALS.